from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The United States is an easier and higher priority intelligence target of the Russian Federation than the Russian Federation is for the United States. Mike Hayden, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, joins us with some observations about the U.S. and Russia during his tenure that we didn't know about. I was director 06, 07, 08, month or two in 09. I went to more than 50 countries as director of CIA. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Not one of them was named Russia. Why? Uh, well, b- because because we were consumed, and, 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 and again, I'm describing a reality. I'm not apologizing. We were consumed by the counterterrorism and counterproliferation effort that we had in front of us. And in addition to that, Hayden says when it comes to Moscow's interference in the 2016 election, Americans left the door open. Frankly, it wasn't hard. It wasn't wasn't high-end espionage. It wasn't even high-end covert action. Uh, We were a vulnerable society because of the way we had gerrymandered ourselves. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP. In Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On February 13th, 2018, the leaders of the intelligence community testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee and in his statement for the record, Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats said the following. Competition among countries will increase in the coming year as major powers and regional aggressors exploit complex global trends while adjusting to new priorities in U.S. foreign policy. The risk of interstate conflict, including among great powers, is higher than at any time since the end of the Cold War. The most immediate threat of regional interstate conflict in the next year come from North Korea and Saudi-Iranian use of proxies in their rivalry. At the same time, the threat of state and non-state use of weapons of mass destruction will continue to grow. He was very clear Russia is a big threat to the U.S. And he said this, In the next year, Russian intelligence and security services will continue to probe U.S. and allied critical infrastructures, as well as target the U.S., NATO, and allies for insights into U.S. policy. Target USA's own reporting has revealed Russia is hard at work already trying to disrupt the 2018 midterm elections. There is no person that I think is better suited to talk to us about this than a man who was a four-star Air Force General, director of the National Security Agency, and later director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Michael Hayden, and he's here with us now. General Hayden, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, as always. Thanks. This being a new year, and us as a nation, relatively newly, looking at Russia 
differently. I would like to ask you a pointed question right off the top. After the intelligence community more than a year ago said, essentially, Russia meddled in the election and, and, and here's how they did it. How deeply buried do you believe Russia and its assets are in the U.S. with this capability? So, so I, I guess I'd separate this into two lanes, all right? Uh, yeah, sure. There is traditional Ruspi- Russian espionage against the United States, and we need to guard against that. But, but what happened to our campaign? Well, it was surprisingly not dependent on stealing many American secrets. Now, granted, I, I get it started with a break-in, metaphorically speaking, of the DNC's emails and the theft of John Podesta's emails. All right, fine. That, that was cyber espionage. I get it. But everything that followed that really wasn't dependent on having stolen American secrets. I mean, we're a fairly open society. Russia weaponized the information that they had stolen, tracked American public opinion very well, pushed their data forward through WikiLeaks and DC Leaks and that troll farm out of, out of St. Petersburg, and began to affect and infect the, the American political dialogue. But with the objective, I think, to begin with, and here I'm kind of referring to the intelligence community assessment, to begin with, J.J., just to mess with our heads. Just, just to degrade our confidence in our own institutions and processes. Then it, it's clear, I think, to all of us that Vladimir Putin wanted to punish Hillary Clinton because he hates her. Three, they expected Secretary Clinton to win, so they wanted to weaken the inevitable president by delegitimizing her with a lot of the stories. And then finally, I think late in the game, they began to realize, hey, this, this other guy may win. And, and then put a little more weight in, in terms of pushing for uh, the election of, of President Trump. Now, this is not my saying that President Trump's not the legitimate president or anything like that. I'm just telling you what the record seems to show the Russians were trying to do. And, and frankly, it wasn't hard. It wasn't, wasn't high-end espionage. It wasn't even high-end covert action. Uh, we were a vulnerable society because of the way we had gerrymandered ourselves. And, and, and the Russians fed this this poisonous political dialogue in the United States and drove us to our corners, so to speak. So we did it to ourselves in large part. We made ourselves vulnerable to this in large part. That said, what do you say about what we, we later learned about what was at play inside the U.S., the people that were in play inside the U.S. You're talking about the meeting at Trump Tower or, or things like that? Yeah, that and you're talking about the, the consulate in San Francisco, which was more than just a, oh, a yeah, government. Oh, no, no, no. There's traditional Russian espionage. Let's talk about on. that. All right, sure. I mean, one of the steps that the Obama administration took in order to punish the Russians was to actually try to kneecap their espionage effort here. We PNG declared persona non grata a whole bunch of uh, Soviet case officers. We took away some properties from them on, on the eastern shore and on Long, Long Island that they were using for their own espionage purposes. So we, 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 we tried to reduce the ability of the Russians to do traditional espionage. But, but, but I, I do think, though, it's a clear distinction. That's fine. I mean, that's a good thing in its own right, and to punish them for the other thing. 
Mm-hmm. But the other thing really didn't essentially depend on espionage. Mm-hmm. It it was it was frankly taking advantage of we Americans self bubbling ourselves in terms of our information sources and the Russians feeding the beast. Mm-hmm. So let's then separate the Russian meddling from the the espionage sure. piece and then just yeah. talk about the Russian yeah, intelligence. Way, they're both joined together by the intentions of the Russian state looking at the United States of America as a permanent adversary. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. So then let's take a look at the Russian physical presence in the in the in the US for whatever purpose uh, we think they are here for, but let's just take a look at what essentially boils down to the intelligence presence that they have here through, remember, the, the 12 illegals and others uh, like I, them. I do. <laughs> it looked like a, like a lost episode of the Americans, but yeah, I, yes. I get it. So how should we look at the possibility that there are more here like them? So we, we should look at it in this way, uh, that the United States is an easier and higher priority intelligence target of the Russian Federation than the Russian Federation is for the United States. And so let me, let me, let me do a little um, self-examination here, JJ. So I was director 06, 07, 08, month or two in 09. I went to more than 50 countries as director of CIA. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Not one of them was named Russia. Okay. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, b- because, because we were consumed... And, 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 and again, I'm describing a reality. I'm not apologizing. We were consumed by the counterterrorism and counterproliferation effort that we had in front of us. So you had, you had terrorism, you had al-Qaeda and so on. You had North Korea, you had the Iranians, and, you know, institutions like people. Only so many hours in the day, only so much energy, psychic or physical, to apply to a problem. So here's, here's the interesting and, frankly, sad and tragic part. We talked about Putin hating Clinton and, and what they did for the American electoral process. He did that because I think Vladimir Putin was of a mind that I spent most of my waking moments as CIA director thinking about how to make his life less pleasant. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the problem was I didn't spend enough time thinking about Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. I, was focused on these, I was focused on these other things. I'll give you a real-world experience. So... Um, Russia invades Georgia in August of 2008. Not a total surprise. I mean, that, that part had been boiling for a while. It boiled over. J.J., without getting into anything we shouldn't get into on the radio, we had lost a significant amount of our technical ability to simply track the Russian army. How? Well, I mean, that relies on national technical means. Mm-hmm. that have to be updated as your potential targets change. And because we had spent so much energy, and again, no apologies here, we had spent so much energy being able to detect low-power personal communications devices in the Hindu Kush, which is really hard to do, <laughs> we had spent so much energy on those kinds of things that actually made America safer. We, we had kind of lost the bubble mm-hmm. on, on tracking the Russians. Now look, there are probably a lot of folks from the agents that are going Going to say, hey, wait a minute, Hayden. I was working that problem for the, and and they were, but you understand. I do that, that we had shifted the weight of our effort towards the counterterrorism and counterproliferation mission at the expense of some other things. Mm-hmm. So, granted, you're not apologizing here, and we're not interested in asking you or trying to force you to apologize. <laughs> okay. I, I do want to offer the, the, the this question: Do you think it was a mistake not to go 
to Russia. Do you think it was a mistake? And I think you've, in some have, ways, yeah, said that. I've got my, I have my regrets. Yeah, should have done it. Not, not, not because uh, Russia was actually more important in '07 than it became in '14, '15, or '16. Mm-hmm. It, it was because intelligence organizations maintain relationships with one another that their political masters, from time to time, find useful. Mm-hmm. And I maintain relations with a lot of people, not all of whom are friends of the United States. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I probably should have kept that channel a little more open. Mm-hmm. Look, <clears throat> Vladimir Putin views the United States as a permanent enemy of himself personally and, and of his country. Now, I wasn't going to go there and proselytize and have them come away saying, boy, did I misjudge the Americans. But a dialogue wouldn't have hurt. All right? It wouldn't have hurt in terms of representing where we were really interested. And it might not have hurt given the Russians a channel of communication back. Knowing what you know about what was later found out in the intelligence community assessment right. and what took place, apparently having been put in place seemingly brick by, brick by brick and block by block for a long time by the Russians using a number of different tactics, people and technology, technology yes, um, what could have been done, if anything, to head this off? So, so I, I've got to admit in my heart of hearts, this is more shame on America than it is shame on Russia. I mean, mm-hmm. the Russians came at a badly divided America that had a fairly poisonous political dialogue going on. I mean, it's almost an article of faith, J.J., that when you conduct a covert influence campaign, which you could probably call this, right? Uh, you don't create fractures in a society. You identify, exploit, and worsen them. And, and so be, because of where we were as a people, this wasn't rocket science for the, for the Russians, all right? Mm-hmm. And I, we don't need to impute to Putin any sense of genius. I actually talked to one guy and said, uh, so characterize how hard this was for Putin to do. He said, it wasn't chess, it wasn't even checkers, it was blackjack. <laughs> you said once before, um, about a year or less ago, <clears throat> right here on this very program, that Russia's not, um, um, uh, uh, Russia is, is not a, a uh, resurgent, resurgent power, power but right. they're revanchist power. Yeah. And so you probably have more 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 steam behind that thinking now than ever there yeah i mean look the russian intervention in the american electoral process all right uh that's that's the hand of a weaker power that's 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 conflict on the cheap Mm -hmm. all right it's it's not terrorism but it's kind of like terrorism in that sense it's it's what you do when you don't have the other tools to do stuff Mm -hmm. right And, and and so they opted for this look I said a couple years back, after Putin had done something that offended us, you know, he's doing all this stuff we don't like, and he doesn't have more than a pair of sevens in his hand. Yes. But he keeps betting, and nobody's calling, and he keeps grabbing the pot. And and, and so he was willing to be more adventurous. He was willing to embrace more risk because he knew he was in a position of weakness, and time wasn't on his side. This wasn't going to, get, get, going to get better the day after tomorrow. And so he had, he had this 
need for survival, political survival, certainly, that he was going to make Russia proud again. You know, I'm going to be an autocrat, but don't worry. You're going to, you're, you're going to like what I do. You're going to be proud. I'm, I'm going to address your historic grievances. And so you saw him being very active in Crimea, the Donbass, eastern Ukraine, beating his chest in, in, in the Baltic states, harassing American ships and, and aircraft in international spaces, showing up, for God's sake, showing up in the Middle East for the first time in 50 years. Why was he able to do that? Because the stage was empty. The space was vacant. He could go into it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing that you mentioned is Russia's simply taken advantage yeah. of what's been there available for them to take advantage of. And the thing that many people that I talk to, uh, just regular people, are so afraid of is the question of how far behind Russia are we? What do we need to do to catch up with the Russians who've uh, essentially come out Vladimir Zirinovsky on the night of the election threw, a, a, I think, an all-night party and <laughs> said, "This we've finally done what we've been trying to do for 70 years. And to be honest about it, a lot of people are frightened. Yeah. They won't say it, and, and probably with good reason, but the, the, the real question is they're wondering how far the U.S. has to go to catch up. Well, all right, so the first step in the recovery program is <laughs> to admit you have a problem. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I'm serious. All right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and here's a great American tragedy. All right. And I'm, I'm trying to say this without trying to impute guilt to anyone. All right. The Russians did what they did. And the American intelligence community went to tell the president-elect what the Russians did. All right. It was very difficult for the president-elect to accept that message from the intelligence community, J.J., because so many other Americans, not the intel guys, but so many other Americans were using that narrative to attempt to delegitimize his election as president of the United States. And so that, that put the president-elect in a pretty challenging psychological position. And, and to this day, I mean, you cannot point to a statement by the president. But what we really need, you ask, okay, what are we going to go do? What we, what we have to do is begin with the president saying, Vlad, you know you did it. I know you did it. You're never doing it again, and you're going to suffer because you did it in the first place. And until we say that as a nation, I fear we're going to be behind this. Mm. Okay, so that said, let's talk to the degree you can about what this, the other side, that is the U.S., the IC, the military, what needs to be done to put Russia in its place, to put the Russian intelligence community where it needs to be, and to, again, restore this confidence that they seem to have eroded, which was one of their objectives, obviously, in this nation with this meddling campaign. What does the intelligence community, what do the military and all of the the law enforcement and all of the other parts of the team do to essentially regain the high ground. So, so you, it's, it's a multi-part question and a multi-part answer. So at the, level, at the level of diplomacy, stand up for what you believe in. And let's give credit to the Trump administration. They just decided to sell Javelin missiles to the Ukrainians. That's something the Obama administration just refused to do. I, I, I applaud that, all right? That's actually saying, no, this far and no further. And these guys are our friends, and we're going to give them weapons. And if you continue to conduct aggression in eastern Ukraine... Those weapons are going to be used. So I like that. Uh, President Obama did the right thing with convincing NATO to put more or less permanent troops in, in the Baltic states. So those, those, are, those are broadly 
broadly positive things. I, I think, by and large, we, we just need to step up and do the kinds of things that we know we ought to do. I'll give you another example that's not so happy. Uh, we, we just beat the day, daylights out of ISIS. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And President Trump pumped that up a bit. Now, it's President Obama's arc, but he sped it up a bit, so that's good. But that's just step one there. What we now need is, so then what happens to the places we used to call Syria and Iraq, remember? And, J.J., you can make a pretty solid case. We've outsourced that to the Russians. Hmm. The Russians Russians are on the diplomatic lead for the political resolution post-ISIS in in Syria and Iraq. I mean, that's just the kind of space that we ought to be, we ought to be competing to fill on our own. So that's, that's the broadly diplomatic thing. Militarily, um, you and I ought to be heartened a bit by last week's national military strategy, uh, which actually explicitly said, although we'll still, still continue to fight those terrorist people, we are shifting our weight in the direction of big power competition and we'll do what we have to do. And I mean, that's a non-complicated way of saying the Russians and the Chinese. And so remember I told you we shifted our weight towards terrorism? Mm-hmm. The Secretary of Defense made a public statement that we're, we're moving it back because we've, we've let this peer and near-peer stuff stay dormant too long. So militarily, we're getting better prepared to push back against the uh, nation-state mm-hmm. competitors. That's, that's good. Uh, you talked about law enforcement. Um, obviously, there's counterintelligence efforts to be done. The, the Bureau does its work. Um, it, it, it does what it has to do, what it can do to make it harder to spy on America. But, but, but frankly, J.J., when it comes to how the Russians most hurt, and you heard me make the distinction earlier on, you got the spying thing, but then you got the meddling thing. The meddling thing is enabled by what it is we're doing now as a people to one another. And so if you're asking me how to push back better against the Russians, have a better civil polity, a better civil dialogue here in the United States. You, you, I'll give you an example. You know all about the St. Petersburg bot farm and, and all the Russians are doing there, right? Yeah. You know the two most recent trending hashtags from the bot farm? No. Release the memo. <laughs> and the Schumer shutdown. Now, where are they getting that, JJ? No idea. <laughs> American social media, obviously. Yeah. 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 So, so I say, what's the old line from Pogo? We have met the enemy, <laughs> and he is us. Yeah. You know, there is something to be said about the fact that w- what you said earlier on is that we essentially have done much of this to ourselves and continue to, to do this kind of thing. But how do we save ourselves from ourselves? We're talking with former CIA director Mike Hayden. And when we return, you'll hear him respond to that. And he says part of the answer is speaking truth to power, even if the power doesn't want to hear it. But you have to do it anyway. I've been in the room when I've said things to a president whom I greatly admire who disagreed with it. I get that. (laughs) He gets to do that. He carried Ohio. All right. (laughs) So it's okay. But, 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 you, but you can't just nod uh, when, when someone is going to base a decision on what you believe to be factually incorrect. That's coming up when we continue with Target USA.
the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. We're talking with General Michael Hayden, former CIA director. And he said to us, one of the things that's caused the U.S. so many problems when it comes to Russia is because we've gerrymandered ourselves, his words, in such a way that we're very vulnerable. But he says one of the ways that we can fix this is to figure out how to better treat each other and also to face the music when it comes to Russia. We pick up our conversation here. There is something to be said about the fact that what you said earlier on is that we essentially have done much of this to ourselves and continue to to do this kind of thing. But how do we save ourselves from ourselves? And that is something clearly the law enforcement agencies can't do. Uh, Actually, the institutions of government have a role. How? Well, okay. Number one, uh, as happened recently, you had the director of the FBI kind of go out there publicly and say, no, we are an honest institution comprised of public servants loyally serving the American people. Mm -hmm. All right? So you've got these institutions that have been attacked recently because of our own internal political dynamics. You've had the head of that institution say, no, no, no. When I look back at my, my old guys, the intelligence community, it's pretty easy. Tell the truth, you know, stand up for the objective reality that your best analysis says is so. Now, look, Lord knows we can get it wrong, J.J. We've talked about this in the past, all right? Mm -hmm. But at least it's getting wrong what we think is objective reality, not some a priori preordained narrative as to to how some things work. Let me get very, very specific, all right? Um, During the campaign... Uh, the, 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 the language of the campaign created an apocalyptic threat from refugees in the face of a vetting system that was totally dystopian. Neither of those are true. And they, they, and they aren't things on which you should base policy. All right? Now, you need to worry about immigrants? Yeah. Refugees? Sure. Do you need a vet? Sure. But it wasn't the dystopian apocalyptic reality that was portrayed during the campaign. Uh, the intel guys have to kind of step up and say, <clears throat> uh, uh, additional moment, sir, and, and, and point out what they think reality is. Now, look, I've been in the room when I've said things to a president whom I greatly admire who disagreed with it. I get that. <laughs> he gets to do that. He carried Ohio. All right? <laughs> so it's okay. But, 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 you, but you can't just nod uh, when when someone is going to base a decision on what you believe to be factually incorrect. What you're saying, to be clear, is you have a duty as a leader in the intelligence community. As do all the people under you, as, as this stuff bubbles up. Okay. To speak truth to power in a persistent way. Not to just not throw say it the once. And uh, walk away. Yeah, not to just say I did it and I did my job, but yeah. to continue pressing it until it is done. I'll, look, let me let me use one from my own life experience, okay, rather okay. than trying to figure out the challenges that Mike Pompeo has. And Mike's got a tough job, all right? No not, doubt. Not, yeah, because it's a tough job, yeah. period. No doubt. Right? 
So we had to go in there with the National Intelligence Estimate. Uh, I think it was late 07, maybe early 08, in which we had good evidence that the Iranians had actually stopped one aspect of their nuclear weapons program. Thought the Iranians were still dangerous. We thought the Iranians should still be sanctioned. And, you know, we're not stupid. We know, we knew that with that estimate, it would be harder for President Bush to get other countries to sanction the Iranians, right? But that's where our analysis took us. And, and, and I'm fond of saying, and this analysis wasn't based upon the absence of evidence that they were building a weapon. It was based on evidence of absence. Now, there can't be a less pleasant message to take into a president who correctly, in our eyes, was trying to build an international coalition to slow the Iranians down, there could not be a less welcome message to take into him. But that was the message we had to take in. The response was? He took it. He accepted it. And then, J.J., he said, I have been publicly supporting our policy based upon your previous estimate, which was these guys were hell-bent for leather to get this weapon. So go make public your new estimate. And we mm -hmm. did. I was mm -hmm. actually the background briefer who actually made it public to the press. Mm -hmm. I recall that. Um, Still a sticky issue with some parts of the American political spectrum. Yeah, I recall that. Having covered this beat, national security in, in, in Washington, since 2004, this is 14 years coming up soon, there has never been a day where no uh, drama, international intelligence drama, intrigue, or disaster, or war, or concern is taking place during the during the the chain the chain of events that's taken place in that near fourteen year period. Part of the reason why we always come to you and I, since you've been out of government as an official, is because of the clarity that you bring to complex issues. So, in our remaining time, I want to do that very specifically with some issues that face us. We've talked very broadly about some of the challenges that face this nation as it, as it relates to Russia. I want to ask you very, some, some very specific things about Russia and Russia's plans. Sure. It's become very clear to me in the not-too-distant past that Russia is working on something called a third-strike weapon. It is a 100-megaton oh, right? autonomous yeah. torpedo right. thermonuclear weapon that if you will allow like me... it's part of a remake of Dr. Strangelove. Right. If you'll allow me to just read a little bit about what this supposedly can do. Um, this weapon, 100 megaton thermonuclear weapon, by comparison, an atomic bomb, the, the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima was 16 kilotons, or the equivalent of 16 tons of TNT. This nuclear weapon would be the equivalent of 100 million tons of TNT, twice as powerful as the Tsar bomb, um, the most powerful thermonuclear weapon ever tested. If dropped on New York City, a 100-megaton bomb will kill 8 million people outright and injure 6 million more. So my question to you, this missile that the Russians are working on is for what purpose? So, so number one, got to tell you and your listeners, I don't go back for briefings, mm -hmm. all right? But what I know is what I read. Mm -hmm. And I remember this. That showed up as a view graph during a Russian presidential meeting at his villa in Sochi, mm -hmm. all right? And that view graph you just showed there on the screen between us 
is that view graph, right? Now, first of all, I don't know that this weapon is more than one view graph deep, okay? And okay. So, and so, we'll, obviously, people who work on this for a living are, are going to put this as a, an intelligence priority and, and try to determine um, what, what it means. Right. I, I cannot offer you, in Mike Hayden's own logic, what in God's name such a weapon would be useful for. Mm-hmm. All right? I just don't know. Now, okay, stop, break, continue. Um, there is no doubt, however, that the Russians are modernizing their nuclear forces. There is no doubt the Russians are adjusting their nuclear doctrine to include first use. <laughs> By the way, they, they are looking at first use as some sort of de-escalatory step. In other words, if we use it, the, the war will stop, all right? I don't think that's very logical either, but that's public. That, that, that we can see. Modernizing their weapon system, conducting exercises in which nuclear use is integrated, and changing their doctrine that tr- it is trending in the direction of, of first use. I, you know, I was doing this for 40 years, mm-hmm. okay? For, for more than half of that, I used to fret all about this nuclear balance thing and you know, multi-warhead ICBMs, is it more stable to have one warhead, three warheads, or ten warheads on a missile? And how do you do the math? And which is more stabilizing? And which is mutually assured destruction? And so on. And I frankly thought at one point in my career, boy, that was interesting. I'm glad that's over. <laughs> All right? It, it was history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about this nuclear torpedo, but I do know about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. The nuclear balance is no longer history. The nuclear balance between us and the Russians is no longer history. We're going to have to go back. We're going to have to modernize our own nuclear forces. We're going to have to reinvestigate our own nuclear doctrine. We're going to have to have this cottage industry we used to have out there with people like Herman Kahn and so on, yeah. thinking through which weapons make things more stable rather than less stable. And you know what? That's a waste of our money. But we're going to have to go do it because the Russians have made this decision. A lot of other things we and they could have put our money on. So I, I guess the question I'd like to ask then is, is this another psychological uh, attempt by the Russians? So it's not war on the cheap like we talked about botnets. Right. right or right. conflict on the cheap or competition on right. the cheap. But it is something the Russians know how to do. All right. They're going to challenge us economically. Yeah. Right. When was the last time you bought something from Russia that wasn't a Matryoshka doll, a fish egg, or an energy source? And that, that's exactly my question. Do they have the money to take to make any more than this? Just this. They, they're this, making. They are this making this prototype that we've seen. They are well. <clears throat> again, I don't know about the the city busting torpedo. All right, I do know. <clears throat> excuse me about nuclear modernization. In a sense, nuclear weapons are power on the cheap. Mm. You got the North Koreans reprising this act. It's cheaper for them, as tough as it is, it's cheaper for them to build up ICBMs and a nuclear weapon than it is to build more combat brigades. And therefore they're opting, even because Kim the youngest there does need to show some economic progress and he can't continually consume everything by building up expensive traditional combat power. Nukes are cheaper but they get the point. So he can use this as a weapon of deterrence without investing a lot of money in You're it. Talking about Vladimir? Both. Yeah. Uh, actually, investing, le- creating power that gets people's attention 
that are, that is cheaper to create than other forms of power. And I think we're seeing the same thing with regard to, to the Russians. Mm. Now, there's been some conventional modernization there, right? But frankly, they were pretty badly stressed to do what it was they did in Syria. And that was a fairly modest investment of conventional power. And so what the Russians are doing are, are, are playing to a traditional strength. They are a nuclear superpower. They are an acknowledged nuclear state. There, there, are, no, there are no red lines out there about them creating nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Well, we have gone through 30 minutes already, and uh, I, the list of questions I have is less than a quarter of the way through, <laughs> but I will respect your time, sir. All right. You are involved in a venture at the Shah School at George Mason University. Right. And tell it's the the Hayden Center, right? So look, their idea, not mine. Uh, but I was honored that they. But asked. you didn't say no. I did not say no. Well, that's <laughs> exactly right. It's the Hayden Center for uh, Intelligence Policy and International Security. And, and JJ, what we wanted to create was, frankly, a forum. All right. I mean, we're 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 starting slow. It's not a degree granting institution. We don't have a bunch of fellows. If folks at the Kennedy School up at Harvard can probably relax for a while. All right, no competition from Northern Virginia. But we did want to take advantage of where we are in the national capital region with all the resources that we have available to create an environment where people can come and talk about intelligence issues in a way that is useful for the nation. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about intel in the last 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, we need a place where, where people can go and have honest disputes. Unfortunately, J.J., my life experience about having public discussions about intelligence matters usually follows somebody accusing us of something. And that's not a good place for the Republic or for the nation's intelligence services to be. So this is a place where we just want to sit and talk. Final thoughts. Anything you want to add? No, I always enjoy coming, uh, chatting with you. Great questions. Um, I, I guess I'd, I'd share with your listeners uh, the world's a tough place, but it's not because anybody's stupid, unwise, or unpatriotic. It's a tough place. Well, thank you very much. General Michael Hayden, very distinguished in many ways, uh, and not the least of which is being able to communicate using uh, levity, using serious terms, uh, and using some very unmatched understanding when it comes to the threat that the U.S. faced. And you laid it out. You did this work for 40 years. Uh, The NSA, director of NSA, director of CIA, uh, four-star general in the Air Force. Uh, So you've had plenty of chances to understand all this, and you've done a good job of doing that. Well, that's very kind. But but the point underneath that is that there are literally tens of thousands of good Americans who are actually pretty good at this, working on this on behalf of our safety. Well, it's good to know that. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up in our next episode... In the 60s, you know, they tried to do leaflets and pamphlets. They tried to uh, capitalize on uh, the race riots of the late 60s and saying, see, this is the America. This is the America we should all not like. Russian meddling in U.S. affairs, how it's changed to where it is now. Well, now they don't have to come here. They did this from Moscow or, you know, one of the old former Soviet uh, republics. And they can get into your house. They can talk to you on your iPhone. They can kind of manipulate the kinds of things that you believe to start undermining our institutions. And in an absolutely spellbinding interview, Mike Rogers, former House Intelligence Committee chairman, tells us 
They're going to continue to do this in 2018 because it was so wildly successful. That's coming up on our next episode of Target USA. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.